The sermon for this afternoon is based on the passage we just read, and 2 Kings chapter 4, the first seven verses. <clears throat> Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot in it and hang on. This expression is the well-known saying from the former president of the U.S., Franklin D. Roosevelt. And what it means that when you have gone as far as you can go, all you have taken, about all you can take, don't give up, don't give in, don't give away, and don't give out. In this life, as children of God, we face many obstacles. We sometimes face the things, and we don't know what to do and how to do. For example, facing a unsolvable problems between you and your children, or a marriage that has hit rock bottom, and you are desperate. Or a problem at work that seems to have no way out. Or you are run out of money at the beginning of the month. Or someone dear to you has dead, and you cannot escape the loneliness, sadness, and pain. Or you are heartbroken and your dreams and hopes are dashed in the harsh reality. Or you are walking in the spiritual wilderness. There seems to be no way out. The need for our lives is to find a way to get through these times of dark days. In Chinese culture, we have a scene. I'll first say it in Chinese. Shan Chong Sui Jin Yi Wu Lu Liu An Hua Ming Yu Yi Chun. Someone translates it into English as after endless mountains and rivers that leave about that leave doubt whether there is a path out. Suddenly, one encounters the shade of a willow, bright flowers, and a lovely village. When we are at the end of our rope, we can wait and respond to all changes with constancy. Or we can be surprised and confused and wonder about at a loss. Or we can watch and resign ourselves to our fate. Or we can pray and worship. As children of God, we may not know the future, but we know who holds the future. When these times come, we must we must make right decisions. 
The difference, the difference between a stumbling block and a stepping stone is what you make of it. Every time we come to this place in our lives, we must learn to give it to God. There is a precedent found in the widow's life. The same way God took care of her is the same way God will take care of us when we reach the end of our rope. The real issue is not the trouble we are facing, but in our response to the Lord in the face of our troubles. How do we respond or react? This is a crucial issue. Let's look closely at closer look at her place of trouble and how she got out of it. Therefore, I preach to you under this theme. Through Elisha, God multiplies the widows all you. There's a three point I'm gonna share with you. The first point, the widow's trouble. A second point. Elisa's solution. And last point, God's provision. Now the first point, widow's trouble. From the verse 1 of our text we read, Now the wives of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisa, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Brothers and sisters, from the beginning verse, we learn a few more details about widow and her family. Firstly, the widow's family is desperate. To cry out in lamentation to someone is to beg for help. This widow came with a desperate and broken heart to ask for help from the man of God, the prophet, at the lowest point in her life. A time of a hopelessness. Hopelessness sometimes really brings people to the end of the road. Sometimes God permits his people to be brought very low in their circumstances. Nor is this always by way of chastisement or because of their folly, foolishness. We should not think that such was her case. Secondly, her husband was a servant of the prophet Elisa, a man who feared God. Her husband was not only her love, the head of family, but also protector and provider of their family. But now the problem is that her husband has died and left them because her beloved has been taken back to heaven by God. And she misses him and is very, very lonely. Thirdly, we don't know 
why the widow was in debt, had no idea how she was going to pay her debts. Perhaps the disciple of the prophet was living in poverty when he died. Under the laws of the day, a person who could not pay his debt was required to sell his sons to a creditor as a slave. We can find this in Leviticus chapter 25, verse 39. This widow was faced with a major dilemma in her life. Not only would she have no money to live on when her husband died, but, but the thought that she might lose her two sons made her grief even greater. Trouble seldom comes alone. And lastly, this widow's family is devout family committed to God. Even in the situation, she still did not falter in her faith. No doubt, she needed money to pay off her debts and to get help. But she did not do anything for money that she should not have done and that was not pleasing God. The widow neither complained against God, nor did she ask for help from other gods or goddesses. But in desperation, turned to the man of God for help. Why was Elisha called a man of God? Is it because he was a prophet? It is because, it is because he was a prophet a mouthpiece of God, and a messenger of God. So for this widow, Elisha was the best helper she could have. We also see that the widow re reminded Elisha that her husband was a man who feared God. It's clear that this widow was a lady who was living a God-fearing life. And in such great hardship, she still trusted God and prayed to him for what she needed. Even though she was in pain, and there seemed to be no possibility of getting help, she was still able to lift her eyes and cry to her covenant God. Although she could not see any way out, she also knew that herself could not see everything, even though she could not understand all things she was facing, but she believed that God was a God who cared for her. So God would not leave her alone. Hence the widow cried out to God in faith, begging him, to help her. Brothers and sisters, at some stage of our lives, or some point of our lives, we are likely to be at a low point. And one day, you may be in the situation where you are at the edge, at the end of your rope. 
Some of us must have experienced this before. Others are going through it, are waiting for help. For others who haven't, don't worry. It's a matter of when, not if, you will hit a low point in your life's journey. Life's path is the same for everyone. It's never flat, but high and low, with potholes, sometimes through plains, sometimes through highlands, sometimes through swamps and rivers and mud puddles, and sometimes through lofty mountains and canyons and rocky shores, just as Job says, in the book of Job, Job chapter 14, verse 1. Man who is born of a woman is a few of days and full of troubles. But we have to remember even more what our Lord Jesus says to us in the gospel book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have a tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When one day, when one day we are in a situation where we are at the endless mountains and rivers where there seems not a path out, remember that God's eyes never leave us. At verse 3 of chapter 15 of Proverbs, it says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And the second Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, and the Lord promises that for the eyes of the Lord run to, run to and fro throughout the world, Whole, through, whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. You have done foolish in this, for from now on you, have, you will have wars. We need to know that God is aware of all the difficulties we face, and he knows our situation like the back of his hand. Nothing in our path of life is hidden from God's eyes. And he cares for us everywhere and all the time. As it says in Hebrew chapter 4 verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And as the first Peter chapter 5, verse 7 teaches us, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So, brothers and sisters, in reality, God cares for us far more than we can imagine and more than we can expect. Often in the difficulties that we are in or we are encounter, we are in, we encounter the valleys 
may seem impossible to overcome or surmount in our eyes. However, we must remember that the end of man is the beginning of God. Everything is under the sovereignty, the control of God. Therefore, we should cry to God for our needs, no matter what hardship we face in our path. He is the powerful and caring God. We are only have a way out and forward if we see God, wait on Him, obey Him, and rely on Him. Now, of course, our situation is different today. We don't approach God through the man of God by his death on the cross. Jesus Christ has opened up to our full access to his Father's throne. We may freely approach the Heavenly Father with our knees and be fully accepted by him through his Son. But note carefully that in doing what this widow did she exemplified to us and this leads us to the second point Elisa's solution let's read our text from verse 2 to 4 and Elisa said to her what shall I do for you tell me what have you in the house and she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. Elisa, as a man of God who redressed the grievances of orphans and widows, could not let the widow's request be ignored. It's the duty of the shepherds at all times to show compassion to the bereaved and the suffering, suffering among God's people. The easiest way, the easiest way for Elisha to deal with this was to say to the widow, Oh, sister, how hard is it for you? You are so poor. God will provide your needs. So go home, wait for him to help you. Of course, Elisha didn't do that. Another practical solution might have been for Elisa to pass the collection bag among his colleagues and supporters so that enough money could be raised to pay off the widow's debt. But she didn't do that either. It's not that it couldn't be done that way. We know the brethren took up a collection for the poor in Jerusalem. It's just, it just that it may not be necessary in all cases. Instead, he asked the poor widow, what have you in the house? This is a very interesting expression. 
it's not, it's not unlike the 4,000 men recorded in Matthew chapter 15 who were fed except for women and children. The disciples said to Jesus, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. God could have turned the stones into food, but he could have but he could have brought down manner to feed his people. But with this widow, it was he who did not do so. Instead, through Elisha, God's question was, what do you have in your house? But not, what do, what do you not have in your house? God has given us a power. Whether five talents, two or one, he has given us. For if a man has a willing heart, he will be pleased with what he has, not with what he does not have. What do you have now? What can we do with God's help? The widow's answer to Elisa's question was that there was only a jar of oil left in her house. A jar of oil, which sounds a lot. However, this refers to the kind of bottle which is a tiny container. The oil mentioned here is considered by commentators to be either cooking oil or the oil you use for the prophets by anointing. Either way, this vial of oil was the only thing of value left to the widow, but not enough to do anything with. In verse 3, Elisa told the widow to borrow empty vessels from her neighbors. Note that the widow was not asked to collect a specific number of vessels. God told her, so the so prophet told her to act in faith. Therefore, Elisha warned to borrow as many as possible. In other words, as long as you believe that God will fill all your vessels, borrow all the vessels you can. The more, the better. What an incredible instruction, brothers and sisters. They made her, the, what do you think the neighbors would think of this widow? The neighbors may first wonder, is, this, is the prophet making fun of her? Since when can one jar of the oil fill many other empty vessels? The neighbors might also have thought that the widow must have gone crazy in her head to go from door to door to borrow vessels. And how would the widow explain this to her neighbors? According to the context, she must have said to her neighbors, I'm completely broke. 
But God is about to come to my, to my rescue, come to my aid. He's about to meet my need. Although I don't know how God is going to help me now, the man of God told me to borrow these vessels. I don't understand why he told me to do this, but I know God must have his good will for this. If the woman had not believed Elisa's word, she would not have gathered the empty vessels. Because she obeyed this instruction, and as a result, she was, she was fortunate enough to have something far beyond her ability to pay her debts. She and her two sons were also able to continue to pay for their future living expenses. What a wonderful testimony it was when God met a widow's need. Is it not true that God is using this widow to be a living witness? Leaving witness to her neighbors, proclaiming God's power, mercy, and faithfulness. Elisha didn't get, gather the vessels for her. He did not go out and sell that oil for her either. If she wanted to be blessed, she would have had to do it herself in faith and obedience of God. Likewise, we are to be willing to work so that God may bless us. Paul worked with his own hands, both to provide for himself and to help those in need. In verse 4, we see that Elisa gave her further instruction. She shall close the door and pour this one small vial of oil over all the borrowed vessels. Closing the door means the principle of privacy. What she did was to do it without distraction so that, so that she and her sons could focus their hearts on God with faith. Being alone with God at all times is one of the most important needs of the believer, especially in today's world, where we live in the noisy and business of every day. Because we often fail to invest enough time alone or with Him, pray to Him, and focus our minds on God's grace and providence. As a result, we are often not able to say that God multiplies our gifts and abilities. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, Paul says there, And God is able to make all grace abound to us, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, 
20 and 21, Paul declares, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Therefore, we should not be discouraged by what we have compared to what we need or want to achieve. God added a jar of oil for the poor widow and seven loaves and a few small fish to feed the four thousand. He saved, he saved Paul from the mouth of the lions for the extreme danger he was in. These clarify, if we trust God with 100% of our whole heart, all our mind, all our soul, and dare to walk by faith, and he can do a lot more with what little we have. When we begin to use what we have, even if it is only a talent, and trust God, we have, the, uh, we have the assurance that God will provide. David testifies in Psalms, in Psalm 37, verse 24. I have been young, and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. We don't have Elisha the prophet today. But we do have Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet who is, a pro- who is a still, who still performs miracles. And God still comes to deliver us from our predicament. By his faithfulness, goodwill. However, to obtain to obtain abundant blessings from God does require our faithfulness and obedience to Him. This brings us to the last point: God's provision. In our text from verses five to to seven, we read there. So he went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another one. Then they all you stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. Brothers and sisters, the widow and her two sons poured out one vessel after another and filled all the vessels and jars of that she had borrowed. At the beginning of the day, the widow was destitute. But at the end of the day, she had been richly provided for and her needs were met. 
One of the essential things we can learn from this widow story is that God will surely fulfill his promise to you. Through Elisha, God promised to fulfill all the vessels of this widow. He did so fulfilling his word. Likewise, God has been faithful to you and to me. God does not fulfill, does not fail in any of his promises to us, but fulfills them all. From verse 6, we see that the oil is a constant stream, and there's plenty to fill whatever just the widow has. So as far as the quantity of the oil is concerned, it's like a spring of water. It flows without ceasing. It is unlimited. But we see that the number of widows' vessels are limited. In other words, the, in the case of the widow, God's provision was plentiful and unlimited. It wasn't Elisha or anyone else who suspended the supply. But when the widow's son said, there are, not, there are no more vessels, then the endless supply of oil stopped. If all the borrowed vessels had not been full, perhaps the widow would have received more oil. Likewise, brothers and sisters, in you and me, all of need, God's provision is always plentiful and immense. God is able to help us with every, with every need. He is a God. He is a God who is willing to give graciously, and He's willing to help us with, help us with the difficulties we face and move whatever ob obstacles that stands in our way. God is ready to help to meet our needs. But the question is, have you prepared vessels like this widow, widow by faith? And have you prepared yourself, entrust yourself completely to our covenant God? When we ask God for blessings, how much room do we really have to carry it? When we complain about the lack of God's blessings and mercy, could it be that God wants to bless us badly, but we just ran out of room for his blessings long, long time ago? If we firmly believe that God will surely take care of us, if we prepare our vessels, to receive his ever-flowing oil. How can God now fill your vessels to overflowing abundance? When the Israelites were hungry, didn't God have enough for the need of his people? God fills up the bonds of Egypt and commanded Pharaoh to provide it for them. When the waters of the Merah became bitter and his people were thirsty, God turned the Merah 
into a fresh, fresh pool. When the three Hebrew teenagers, teenagers were thrown into the fiery furnace in Babylon, did God abandon him, abandon them? Absolutely not. He was with them. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we cannot disagree with Paul when he says our sufficiency is of God. God is sufficient. He is sufficient for all our spiritual, material, physical, and emotion, emotional needs. A minister, a minister once told a very fascinating story. It goes like this. Two men went one morning to the lake to fish for trout. They stayed there all day. One of them had a very strange habit. Whenever he caught a fish, he always measured it with the uh, small ruler, which he had prepared beforehand. And if she caught a fish longer than that, then his ruler, he would throw it back into the lake. As long as the fish was shorter than his ruler, what he did, what he did, make his companion wonder, and finally, his companion could not stand it any longer, and ask. Man, I've never seen anyone fish like you in my life. How come you leave all the little fish behind and throw the big ones back in the lake? The other man answered, I cannot get a big fish because, because the frying pan I have at home is the size of a ruler stick I have with me. Seven inches in diameter. This man would instead, would instead catch a small fish than get a big frying pan. He is a class, classic penny-wise and pawn-foolish. In Chinese saying, he is a classic throw-away watermelon and picks up sesame seed. When God delivers a blessing to us, we must not limit him with our small frame pan. Brother and sister, how big is your frame pan? Are you ready for God to do even greater things in you, through you, and for you? Be prepared. To hold the blessing. God's blessing is so rich that it is hard to carry it without preparation. This is a miracle Elisa experienced when he told the widow to borrow vessels from her neighbors. As much as she had room to hold the oil, Elisha didn't tell we got to know Elisha didn't tell the widow, go home, close the door, and do nothing. Just sleep and wait for the meatloaf money raining down from heaven. 
after a long day of work. The jars of oil that this widow had filled were not only enough to pay off all the debts she owed, but the purchase was in the purchase was enough to enable the mother and son to live on. It was the widow who ran off run out of the container, not like of oil in God's hand. We need to know that it is never God who feels, but always the man who comes to the end of, the, of his capacity. You see, brothers and sisters, God is always generous, and his provision for us is more than enough. This is what Almighty God does. And if we give ourselves completely to Him and bring our knees before His throne, pray to Him, He will not despise any of our knees. He will help us. And He will certainly provide for us far more than we can think or ask. Brothers and sisters, remember this. When you reach the end of your rope, tie a knot in it. Hang on by faith and obedience. Then God, our Heavenly Father, will give you another rope. Amen. Now let's pray again. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, the miracle multiplying the widow's oil through the prophet Elisha once again shows that you are truly father of the fatherless, the protector of widows. Thank you for that through this miracle, you have made us learn that it's by faith and obedience in the pouring out the little you have entrusted to us that we'll receive the more you have in store for us. Help us recognize and challenge the limitations we place ourselves. And may you inspire our heart, soul, and mind. Let us act boldly and be an example of witnessing to you to prove and demonstrate that you can do so much more for us than we could ever ask or imagine. Lord, our Heavenly Father, may we remember this miracle and the other ones you have performed so that we can get strength from them and understand that you are willing and able to step in to help us in our time of need. And may we remember that you expect us to keep all of your commandments if we are to come before you in times of need boldly. And that those we, we trust in you are to live by faith and not by sight. Father, we thank you also for giving us today our daily bread when we ask for bread. You do not provide us with stones, with stones, 
Thank you for bearing, for being present in times of despair. And thank you for giving us another rope in times that we reach the end of our rope. You comfort us when we feel down and hurt. You are a God of mercy, faithfulness, steadfastness in your covenant love. Lord, open our eyes that we may see how fortunate we are to have you as our Heavenly Father and our provider. As we enter into our regular life of this week, we pray that you will remind us to make space to remember that we can feast on your word and truth. Lord, we also lift a pathway Christian church up in prayer. They are a young congregation who are striving to build each other up so that their inward growth may reflect outward and ultimately upwards. Help fill this congregation with love Patience, joy, understanding, and trust. Bless this congregation so that they may not surrender to the challenge that come their way. Instead, lead them by your word so they may glorify you. Lord, let everyone's heart be filled with love for each other and let them realize the value that lies in, in each and every member. Use your spirit to move the members of the pathway to, to become proactive, proactively involved in church activities. Make this new church the spiritual home of your covenant people. Lord, we seek your mercy and blessing upon them that they may be strong spiritually growth, grant courage, hope, and unity while guiding this church on your path. Keep your word firmly planted within this church in every step that they take. Help them to focus on what is pure and right in your sight. We also pray for the leaders of this young congregation. Give them wisdom and insight as they oversee the church body. Let them be assured that all the help and strength that they need comes from you. Help them lead by their actions and words. Using the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, at their perfect example. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we trust and put our faith in you. May we count the bountiful blessings you have given us one by one each day. We pray your kingdom will come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.